And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing all my life. And all my life he has been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing your goodness. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Cause your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. And your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And I surrender all. And I surrender all. And all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Sing one more time. That's a little better, a little better. Hey, church, would you turn with me to, to the book of 1 John? If you're not sure where that is, it's toward the back of the Bible. So as I, Jessica and I were on vacation, one of the things I was praying through on vacation with some direction for the new year, specifically for Wednesday nights. Our Wednesday nights are Bible studies, and uh, we study, and we, I'm usually a topical preacher, and, and I, I preach on topics, and then we uh, dig into the scriptures that apply and have to do with that topic. However, the Lord led me into doing some expository preaching in the new year and kind of working our way through some books in the Bible. So I, uh, as I was praying about it, 
I feel like there's a, there's a lot, there's a large portion of the body of the church who read through the Bible and read through and study books of the Bible all the way through. But there's also a large portion of the church who do not. Uh, they may look up topical scriptures that have to do with uh, how they're feeling or things they're particularly dealing with. Or they may do a Bible study that's topical that has to do with women or has to do with men or has to do with issues they're dealing with or something in their life. Uh, if they want to conquer anger or you want to deal with unforgiveness, you know, you find a topical Bible study that deals with that and it throws out some scripture. Uh, but probably about 50% of the church does not sit and read in context through books of the Bible. So one of the things that I felt like the Lord dealt with me for Wednesday nights in this new year is to work in context through some books of the Bible, uh, pretty much verse by verse. Now, uh, if, I, if I break out and stop on every single verse, you know, it would take us five or six years to get, get, through, get through books of the Bible. So we're not going to do that. We're going to read every verse, uh, but we're going to stop on some certain ones that the Lord has highlighted in my spirit. And we're going to talk about those and how they apply. Uh, now, after he led me to do that, I started praying, okay, Lord, where do you want me to start? And uh, I woke up the other morning and he just laid the epistles of John on my heart. And uh, so we're going to start uh, with First John tonight, and we're going to start digging through uh, with the first verse. But before I do that, I just would like Pastor Mike Dunn to come up and pray uh, over the word tonight. I know I caught you off guard. <laughs> just pray over us. Dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord. You are such a good God, a merciful God, a loving God, a caring God, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for your word, Lord, the word that you have given us, Lord, so that we can be led by your spirit, Lord, and be drawn closer to you, Lord, and to draw others to you, Lord. Lord, as we go through John, Lord, I pray, Lord, just that we will just, Lord, devour it with our spirit, Lord, that we will hunger, Lord, even more, Lord Jesus, for your divine word, Lord, so that it, we can be changed, Lord Jesus, and that we will represent you well, Lord, as we go out, Lord, so that others will desire you and desire that which you are given to us, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. And we just pray, Lord, for your anointing, your blessing over this time, Lord Jesus. And we pray a special prayer of blessing over Pastor Steve, Lord, as he brings this word, Lord. Anoint him, Lord Jesus. Use him, Lord. Lord, I need a change. I need a change, Lord. Change me through his teaching. In the name of Jesus, amen. So do we give you enough time to get to 1 John? Everybody find it okay? Um, before we dig into 1 John, I just want to talk about a little bit about the author. So the, the author of 1 John is the Apostle John. Uh, some of you may know, some of you may not, but he was the youngest of all the disciples. So John was the baby of, of the disciples. He was the youngest at that time. Uh, he was also, as we know from the gospel of John, he was the disciple who called himself the beloved, right? And we've, we've talked about that from time to time. And I've made some jokes that my wife uh, always says uh, that she is God's favorite, 
you know, and she, she says that all the time. And uh, we actually preached a message and, and spent some time in scriptures talking about how we are all God's favorite, <laughs> you know, that God, God loves each and every one of us like we're his favorite. But uh, John, out of all the disciples, called himself the beloved in his writings. So whenever he mentioned himself and in relationship to Jesus, he called himself the beloved or the disciple that Jesus loved, right? So that was John's uh, John's personality. John was a, a lot about love. He wrote a lot about love. Uh, that was John's personality, but that was also John's relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you know that just like John, we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ where we feel just as special as John did uh, with Jesus. John was the one that would lay his head on the, on Jesus's chest. Uh, the Bible talked a, a lot about John's love for Jesus. And how many of you know we all need some of that in our life, right? We, we need to love Jesus like John did. And we need to recognize that Jesus loves us in the same way that he loved John. So John wasn't just uh, uh, in the gospel of John. He wasn't just in, in the epistles of John. But John also is the revelator who wrote the book of Revelation. So around the same uh, time period as the epistles, uh, within 10 or 15 years from, from what I've studied and understand, the epistles in the book of Revelation were written. So as I dove into 1 John and began to study it to teach tonight, I recognized and realized that a lot of end time uh, stuff is happening in the book of John as well. John is dealing with and talking about that. And the more I studied and the more I read and the more I, I focused on 1 John, I recognized that this is a book of the Bible that is pertinent to our season that we're in. This is pertinent to the time that we're in as a church uh, is the book of 1 John. So it's important that we, we dive into it with that in mind, that as we read through, uh, you kind of look around and you see society. And you see the things that we're dealing with and you see uh, the breakdowns and the disunity and you recognize how that's written in 1 John as well. So uh, there's a certain theme uh, to 1 John, but all three of these epistles were written later in life. And you can tell that by how John speaks to the churches. So John is writing to people, but you can tell that he's writing from the aspect of a father. Right? How many of you know that as you become a father, your mindset changes towards people? Right? When you become a father, before you're a father, uh, you have different thoughts and processes. You may, you may have been a brother first. You may have been an uncle first. You may have been a son. And, and all of those ways are different than the ways of a father. Right? You can talk to another believer as a brother, uh, but it's different if you have a father-son relationship with another believer. Right, You deal with them differently, you love them differently, and you talk to them differently. So the book of John, you see that he has a fatherly aspect about his writing during this time because he's older and he's become a father in the faith. So he went from being the youngest disciple to being the last disciple still alive and being a father in the faith during this time. So one of his favorite topics, the way that he addressed people was my little children, right? He often addressed them as my children or my little children. How many of you know that's the heart of a father? 
right? Now, I, uh, my heart changed when I became a father, and I, I got a father's heart for my kids. And then as I got older and entered into ministry, I noticed that the father's heart that I have for my kids is the same type of father's heart that I have for people. Right, it's the same kind of father's heart that I have for people in the church. It's the same part time a father's heart for the people that I minister to, right? And then I recognized when I became a grandfather that I was getting old. Amen. <laughs> now, Jess, Jess is a very young grandmother, and, and I'm somewhat of a young grandfather, right? But as I became a grandfather, how many of you know my views changed again? My thoughts and processes changed again. And now I've got a whole different type of love that I didn't even know I had before I became a grandfather, right? So as we get old and as we progress in life, and a lot of what John is talking about in 1 John is not just progressing in age, but 1 John, he's talking about progressing in the faith. How many of you know that you don't have to be old in order to be a father in the faith? Or you don't have to be old in order to be a grandmother in the faith, in the church, right? Now, many times we do view some older folks in the church as fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers in the faith. And, and that's true because our faith tends to grow the longer we walk with God, right? But your faith can also grow and increase faster than your years increase. Do you know that? So the more time that we spend with the Lord and the more time we spend in Scripture and the more time we spend walking with Him, our faith increases and our spiritual self grows and you become hey, you can become a father in the faith before you ever grow old enough to be a grandfather. Amen? That, I think that's kind of cool. But, but God doesn't place uh, blocks or walls around us and say, uh, oh, I'm not going to give you that enlightenment in the Scripture until you hit 60. Right? There's nothing biblical that says uh, you can't father people in the church until you turn 85. Right? There's, there's nothing about God doesn't put those limits on us, but instead he makes it available to us and says if you would just seek it out, if you will just go after it, if you will just run for it and cling on to it and grab a hold of it, Right, If you would just put in the work and the effort and, and say, Lord, give it to me, I want it, then he will increase you in faith and wisdom well beyond your years. Amen? Isn't that awesome? I think that's great. So there's a certain theme in the first epistle of John, and I, I, I specifically think that's great because I'm so young, but I just wanted to say that. Sometimes, you know, getting in your mid-40s, you know, you're kind of like, you're in that in-between you know, it's like I, when I say I'm young, people laugh. But when I say I'm old, they're like, oh, you're not old. Well, what am I? You know, I'm, I'm somewhere. I'm somewhere there. I'm either young or I'm old. Or I, I think I'm right in the middle, right? You know, I'm young and old, both. So I'm, I'm a young guy with some gray hair. But that's, that's what it is. So, so there's a certain theme to the first epistle of John. In First John, there's three tests of our conversion that he talks about. And those are the three tests I want to, if you're taking notes, and I love it if you do take notes on Wednesday nights. We don't put it on the screen. So if you want to grab a Connect card out of the seat and write on that, you can do that as well if you didn't come prepared. But um, when you take notes, there's three tests of the faith that John is talking about throughout this first epistle. So there's a test of obedience. There's a test of belief, and there's a test of love. So these are the three tests of a faith, or as John calls it, the, the test of being a Christian. 
right? These are the three tests of what does a Christian look like. How many of you know as, as people and followers of Christ, we need to know what a Christian looks like, right? How many of you know there's lots of people competing for your attention? There's lots of people competing for your ear. There's lots of people competing to speak into your life. We live in a, in a day and age where you can pull up uh, multi-million hours of preaching and teaching and books and everything just right there on a cell phone in your pocket, right? Now, we come together as a church. Can I tell you that sometimes that's a, a, little, uh, a little disheartening for a preacher when he knows that the congregation can pull up the best of the best speakers right when they leave church? They're like, good try, Pastor, but I'm going to go home and listen to Stephen Furtick now, right? Or, or good job, Pastor, but I'm going to go listen to Gateway now when I get home, right? It, it can be a little uh, uh, threatening to a pastor knowing that all of that is out there. But the truth of, of the matter is uh, there's some awesome teaching that if you dig into it, it will make you a better churchgoer here, right? There's some awesome teaching that if you go out and dig into it, it'll make you a better Christian, which will benefit this church, which will benefit me and Jess too, Amen. Uh, but there's also some teaching out there that if you dig into it, it's going to hurt your walk with Christ. It's going to hurt you fitting into the church, and it's going to hurt your, your walk and your testimony, right? So there's, there's, you have to be uh, discerning about who you allow to speak into your life. Because some people sound like a Christian, walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian, but their heart is far from being a Christian, right? There's even some people who teach the Word. And they sound good teaching the word and they're charismatic. Uh, but in their life, they're not walking out what they're preaching and teaching. And you don't know them well enough that know that when you're pouring and allowing them to pour into your life, that you're getting not just the teaching that's coming out of their mouth, but you're getting spirits that are also attached to them. Right? So you have to be careful who you allow to speak into your life. And you have to be careful who you allow to speak into your family's life. You have to be careful who you put on and, and allow to breach the airwaves of your home because your home is your, is your castle. Your home is your, your place of rest, right? And it, you got to be careful who you allow to breach that. Uh, in the day and age of social media, uh, anybody and everybody has access to my inbox on Facebook. And I could, screen, I could probably connect it upstairs somehow if I knew how to do that and, and stream it online and show you all the craziness that's been coming into my inbox for several weeks now. Craziness. Prophets I never heard of saying some stuff that I don't even know uh, if that's true. And I've got, and, and I watch some of it because the people that send it to me are people that I love and they want my opinion on it. And I watch some of it and I'm like, my Lord, I don't even know what to do with this. So I, so I go to prophets and, and people that I know and I say, what is God saying about this? People that I know their character, that I know who they are and I know their walk, right? Because you can grab a hold of people that you don't know and get sucked into something that you don't want anything to do with. Right, So we got to be careful about that. So as we start moving through the epistles with the greeting in 1 John, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and it starts like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, 
That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So John is reiterating in these first four voices or first first four verses what he and the other apostles have been teaching and that Jesus was and is and always was even before his manifestation in the flesh he was God. Amen. So no matter what anybody says differently, he's saying, no, we know it because we walked with him, we talked with him, we studied with him, he taught us, right? And we know that uh, he was and always is and always will be God, right? So he's saying in those first four voices that, or verses, I don't know why I keep saying voices, but he says in the first four verses, uh, he reiterates that Jesus Christ is God, and because Jesus Christ is God, you as followers of Christ, your joy should be full, right? That no more, no, no tugging of the world, no tugging of anything else pulling you in any direction should steal your joy because your joy is based in one thing, that Jesus Christ is God, that you are in relationship with him, that he loves you and you love him, Amen. So the world and the circumstances and everything around us can't steal our joy because Jesus is our joy. Amen. And nothing can take Jesus Christ from us. Right? Nothing can. He is our joy. So he's saying and reiterating that because Jesus is God, we have hope and can rest in the fact that he did indeed die for us so that we could have eternal life. And he did indeed rise again to defeat death and the grave for us. And if we have a God and a Savior who died for us so that we could have eternal life and defeated death in the grave so that we could have eternal life and did everything that he did so that we could go to heaven, what excuse do we have not to have joy? What excuse do we have to walk around long-faced and, and, and worried and wringing our hands? What excuse do we have? None. Amen. I was I was talking to Miss Cheryl at, at a funeral yesterday, and and I don't know if you know about Cheryl and Jack, but they were uh, missionaries to Japan and missionaries to China, and and she told me a story about in China when things were so bad on the Christian faith in China that they couldn't even announce out loud where their next meeting was going to be. They couldn't even announce it out loud uh, because the government would come in and and just crush them. Uh, so they couldn't announce it out loud. So what they did is they all went home and prayed and were led by the Holy Spirit. And every one of them showed up at the right meeting place afterwards. <laughs> Amen. That's the kind of God we serve. That even if everything is crushing in your life and everything is coming down on you hard, you serve the kind of God that will put you in the right place at the right moment at the right time to walk out of the situation. Amen. That's the kind of God we serve. Because of Jesus, we can have joy. Amen. So we pick up in verse 5. John says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Say liar. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right? So what is John doing next? John is laying some framework for what he's about to tackle as he's writing to the church, right? He's laying some framework here, and what he's doing is laying out the main points of our faith in Jesus Christ. And if your faith has, has faltered from any of those main points, you're no longer practicing Christianity, but you're practicing something else, right? You're no longer serving a, a God, but you may be serving a different God. All right, so if you begin to think that sin is okay and that sin uh, doesn't have any effect on our walk and our talk in life, uh, then you're not practicing Christianity because the Bible is clear that sin is sin, that all have sinned, that there's none perfect except for Jesus Christ. But the good news is we can come to him and we can ask for forgiveness and he will cover us in his blood and we can walk away uh, made well and justified because of him and what he did. Amen? That Jesus is right. And you say, well, Pastor Steve, where does this fit in today? Because we have uh, some Christians who are aligning with values that are sin. We have some churches that are aligning with homosexual values. And that's sin. And they're no longer preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. and no longer walking as Christians. They're serving and walking in another gospel. And we have Christians who are celebrating abortion. And we have Christians who are saying to, to allow abortions and vote abortions in is just a Christian thing to do. And they're not Christians because abortion is sin. And if they're grabbing on to another gospel, they are not serving Christ and they're not walking in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? So we've got to be clear in this day and age when there's heresy after heresy after heresy and it's, and it's poured on us from the national news sources and it's poured on us from television and it's poured on us from movies and it says, you know, relativism is, is okay. Truth is, is not something that's concrete. And we say, I beg to differ because in the Bible, relativism is wrong and there's only one truth and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with sin? We reject sin because sin is in darkness and we want to walk in the light with Jesus Christ. So we reject sin and then we reject gospels that accept sin because they're not true gospels of Jesus Christ. Right, so we've got to recognize that. And this is what John is doing. And if you think this is something new for our day, that there's many different Gospels, it's not anything new. It was happening in this time, and John is actually addressing one certain Gospel that claimed Christianity, but we're walking in a different Gospel. We're walking and serving a different God. Right, So he's addressing it in his time. And although it happened in his time, it has happened in every time since. And for us as followers of Christ, we've got to make sure. We've got to make sure that we don't get deceived by wrong gospels. That we don't get deceived by other gospels that are not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to recognize that there's still such a thing as sin and there's still such a thing as repentance today. And when we sin, we need to repent. 
When we, and if the Bible says, guess what? The Bible says you're not, I want to get up here so everybody upstairs can, well, a few people upstairs can see me. But, but it, listen, the Bible doesn't say that you won't ever sin. The Bible says that you will sin because all have fallen short. Right, But the Bible says, guess what? Because you have sinned and because you have a Savior, you can come to Him and ask for repentance and be made whole. Right? What you can't do is continue in sin, walk in sin, never repent, and say, I'm still a follower of Christ. That's what you can't do. Right? So to, we have to walk in uh, the gospel that we read about and the gospel that we know, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so John is teaching in his main points of our faith in Jesus in the line. So we follow Christ by walking in the what? Walking in the light. Right? Not continuing in sin. But because we all do falter and because we all do fail at times, we recognize that when we do falter and when we do fail, we do what? Repent. And what does repent mean? To turn from. Right? To make a change. Repent isn't just saying I'm sorry. Repent is changing what's happening in our life that's causing us to sin. Right? So listen, if, if you end up with a certain person, if you end up with a certain person, and I don't know who I'm talking to in this church because I look around and it's probably none of y'all, but it might be somebody online. But every time you get around this person, you end up with your pants off. And you ain't got a ring on, that's sin. Okay? And what do I do when I'm dealing with sin? I repent. And what does repent mean? I turn from the sin. I stop putting myself in a situation, uh, y'all listening online, I stop putting myself in a situation where I end up with my pants off. So I've got to change whatever's happening that puts me in that situation where my pants are off. Amen? If you listen to most country songs, it has to do with tequila and dancing. I don't, I, that's part of it. It might not be tequila. <laughs> so we confess of our sins. We repent. Right? He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We just read that in scripture. Guess what that means? That means when you've turned and you've made the necessary life changes to repent and turn from that sin and no longer walk in the darkness but choose to walk in the light, that he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. So guess what happens? Now you're justified. Now when the heavenly father looks down on you, what does he see? He sees the blood of his son. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't call you by your sin, but he calls you son or he calls you daughter. Amen. That you are justified because Jesus did what he did for us. So no one except Jesus can claim to have no sin. Right? No one. Now listen, uh, some of y'all in this room absolutely cannot picture your grandma sinning. But she sins. Some of y'all in this room Got a little southern mama, and you swear she's never sinned in her life. She sins. <laughs> Every single one of us, apart from Jesus, has sin that we need to confess, we need to repent of, and we need to change in our life. How many of you know there's sins of commission, there's sins of omission? Grandma may not be getting drunk and going dancing, but grandma might be lying, <laughs> grandma might be uh, fearful. 
Grandma might be allowing fear to run her life and worry and concern to run her life rather than trusting God. So there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. All of us are, are, have sinned and all of us have something to repent for. So John continues teaching this concept through chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. So I'm just going to read through that. Uh, my little children, these things I write to you. Notice he says it from the aspect of a father or a grandfather, right? My little children. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That's how powerful our God is. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is for the entire world. Uh, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his what? If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a what? Oh my gosh. John is harsh. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He, capital he, which is Jesus, walked just as Jesus walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Woo! Anybody see any hate in the world today? He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I don't know about you, but I've seen some political proceedings lately that are blinded by hate. And the Bible and the scripture says that they don't even know where they're going because they're so blinded by hate. And church, we shouldn't be walking in hate. Amen? So verse 12 through 14, he writes it kind of in, in, a, in a poetic prose. But he says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. What is John doing there? He's encouraging the church. He's saying, I write these things to you not to teach you something you've never heard before. And me as your pastor tonight preaches through this gospel and preaches through this book of the Bible, not because it's something that you've never heard before, but it's something that you need to be encouraged to walk out in your life. Amen. That you may know it, but you still might need to receive the encouragement to apply it to your daily walk. Amen. That we as Christians may know not to walk in darkness, but still may find ourselves a time and again walking in darkness unless we are reminded and encouraged that we can turn from it and cling on to the Father and, and repent and turn and be made whole and walk away from it. And it doesn't have to have a hold on us. Amen. 
Amen. In verse 15, it, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then get this, in verse 17, he starts going into end times. And the world is passing away. Does it surprise you that the world is in turmoil? Does it surprise you that America is in turmoil? Does it surprise you that our political structures are in turmoil? Does it surprise you that it seems as though uh, our boat has been rocked a little bit because Christian uh, American Christians haven't really had to deal with this kind of stuff for a long time? We've had little pressures and little things on, on occasion, but faced with looking at the, at the implosion of our own country is a time for us to wake up and recognize and realize that what the Bible says is true and this world is indeed passing away. And if you have set your eyes on political structures and if you have set your eyes on the world, then your hope will be crushed. But if you have set your eyes on Jesus Christ as the Heavenly Father, then you have hope regardless of anything happening around you. You have hope regardless of the circumstances in your life. You have hope regardless of what you're facing and what you're dealing with. And it may be something uh, great as the, the country and the problems in the country, or it may be uh, issues that you're having in your own home and structures that you're having in your, in your own home, and you have structural problems there, and you got so much problems in your own home, you haven't even paid attention to the political problems and the stuff America is having. But regardless of what's happening in your circumstances, whether they be in the boundaries of your home or the boundaries of your community or the boundaries of this nation, our hope is in Jesus Christ, right? Because John said in the beginning that he was and is and always was and always will be, right? America, it, it, listen, it's not in our constitution that America always was. At some point, America happened, right? It's not in, our, in the Bible that America always will be. I, I don't read it in there, okay? So, so, so at some point in time, life as we know it will change because we are coming into the end times and structures that people have put their faith in will fail them unless their eyes are trained on Jesus. Amen? So we have to listen to what the word of the Lord is, listen to what he's saying, read scripture, and apply that to our circumstances. Amen? Amen. So, so John continues into the doctrine of believers, reminding the church not to get so caught up in the things of the world, but to remember that it will all pass away, and we should be more concerned about eternal things like the business of the Father. Amen. If you were here Sunday, uh, you caught what our, our missionary preached on being concerned with the, the business of the Father. Can, can I ask you this? Is... is uh, the Republican structure eternal? No. Is the Democrat structure eternal? When we go to heaven, are we going to be voting in Democrats and Republicans? No. Right? So as Christians, can we afford to, to wrap up our lives and our mind and our hopes and our identities? My God, our identities? Talking to somebody at home? Now I'm talking to y'all in here. Can, can, we, can we afford to wrap up our identities in things that will pass away when there's things that are eternal that we should be wrapping ourselves up in? 
Listen, no matter what happens in the political winds, if we focus on eternal things, we're going to be okay. Amen? If we focus on eternal things, we're going to be okay. That's where our focus has to be, is on eternal things. Uh, then John, John pivots to the main point of the letter. And in verse 18, he starts reading little children, again, talking as a father. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, notice the capital A in Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming, so he's talking about a specific person. As you know that the Antichrist is coming, and then comma, even now many Antichrists have come. Notice the lowercase a. Right? So he hits Antichrist with a capital A and many Antichrists with the lower A. Right? So he's, he's both referencing the end times and the coming of the Antichrist. Right? The one uh, prophesied in scripture and in the book of Revelation. Right? He's talking about the Antichrist. But then he's also talking about the many Antichrists that have already come. And the many antichrists that have come since the writing of 1 John. And the many antichrists that we deal with in society today. So what is it, the antichrist little a? It's anything that is anti-Christ. Any other gospel that is anti-Christ. Any other religion that is anti-Christ. Any politician that is anti-Christ. Are all lowercase a antichrists according to John and the gospel, right? So, so we need to know that. So, so many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. So do we get mad and upset when we see politicians who are anti-Jesus Christ? We recognize that because we see that, we are in the last hour. Do we get mad and upset when we see an entire political parties that begin to push Jesus out? Entire political parties that want to push Jesus out of any governmental structure whatsoever. Do we get upset and angry and hateful and ah? Or do we recognize it that we are in the last hour and we still maintain that our hope is in Christ? Amen? So, so we have to know this. So, so. Uh, it, the Antichrist have come this last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, and none of them were with us. Right? And then it goes into verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. Again, Paul is saying to the church, you already know this stuff. I'm just reiterating it to you to, to encourage you to apply it to your life, right? You already know you shouldn't be wrapped up in the things of the world. You already know that you shouldn't be making non-eternal things eternal. You already know that you should be focused on eternal things and not focused on things that are going to pass away. You already know this because you've been anointed by God to know. But I'm just gently reminding you. How many of your dads gently reminded you on regular occasions? Right, My dad, when he was alive, every Sunday would gently remind me to wear a, wear a coat and a tie. Gent, gentle reminders. My phone would ring. I'd be studying my message, getting ready to go up on stage. And I'd answer it, hey, dad, son, do you have a coat and tie on today? <laughs> no, dad, I don't, I don't have a coat and tie on today. I'm sorry. Son, you know you're a pastor. 
pastors wear coats and ties. <laughs> I said, Dad, I'm sorry, I don't have a coat and tie. On occasion, I would put one on because I knew the phone call was coming. And he would call and he'd go, son, you got a coat and tie on? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, Dad, I got a coat and tie. Good, good boy. Good, good son. And then he'd call me after the, the live, live stream was over and say, man, you look so sharp today. You looked like a pastor. <laughs> Those are gentle encouragements, right? That was gentle encouragements from my dad. And that's what John is doing here. He's gently encouraging his kids. He's gently encouraging. So it moves on in verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He who denies Jesus is the Christ. Moving into the next line, he says, he is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So if you notice, John's tone starts to change. Right? He starts off really encouraging. Now his tone gets firm. Anybody's dad ever get firm with you? Yeah. Right? God gets firm on occasion. So his tone begins to get a bit harsher. He begins to pivot, calling out a branch of Christianity at that time that was dangerous to new believers. And it was called Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is derived from a Greek word meaning knowledge. There was a group of people that if you asked them if they were followers of Christ, they would say, yes, we absolutely are. But if you asked a second question, you would find out that they taught salvation not through what Jesus did, but they taught salvation through mental enlightenment. So what happened? They changed the gospel. They changed the message. They started, they started uh, following a different Christ, right? Because that's not Jesus Christ that they were following. That's not Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary that they're following because Jesus sure didn't teach that you could be saved through mental enlightenment. Jesus saved, teach, taught that he was the only way to the Father. is through him, right? Not by anything that you've done or anything that you've earned. Matter of fact, Jesus said that your works are as like filthy rags and that filthy rags uh, translates loosely into menstrual pads. So he says, your personal works are as filthy as menstrual pads, right? So not anything you do or say gets you into heaven, but only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus, you get to heaven, right? So he taught, they were teaching a different Christianity. In verses 24, he says, therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. What's he saying? Jesus doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. I don't care if it's 2021. The gospel has not changed. I don't care how many liberal theologians want to push a different gospel. The gospel has not changed. I don't care how many churches want to embrace homosexuality and break apart uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the core unit of what God designed a family to be, which is a husband and a, and a wife and children uh, coming together in and, and, and unity and, and displaying the love of Jesus. Uh, but people want to tear apart from that and grab a hold of another gospel and teach that as though Jesus is okay with it. And John is saying right here in our word, right here in our scripture, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his gospel is the same. And nothing has changed. And this is the promise that he promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. 
And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Oh, how many pastors and Christians and churches are going to be ashamed at Jesus' coming because they've been teaching a false gospel and a false narrative. And they've drifted away from the scriptures. And they drifted away from the words of Christ. They drifted away by of what's most important. And they started to teach different teachings. And they're going to have to hang their head. And there's going to be teachers and preachers and pastors who go before that throne and go before judgment. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me because I never, ever knew you. Scariest verse in the entire Bible. It also says that false teachers will be held uh, to a a higher standard. They'll be judged harsher. Man, there's a lot of of teachers in America today that are going to fall into some judgment. So being firm in our beliefs today is acknowledging what a Christian is and what a Christian isn't. And we as a church have to know it have the knowledge about what Scripture says about it, and be able to discern the difference. Amen? So how many of you know there's many different Christian denominations? There's there's quite a few different ones. Why do we have so many Christian denominations? Because nobody can decide on what color carpet to use. No, it's a little more than that. There's Christian denominations across the world who are Christians. They're not preaching a different gospel. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they just disagree on secondary things. right? Some of them uh, agree with speaking in tongues, some don't. Some agree with vibrant worship with a band and a guitar, and some believe in, in just singing out of hymnals and singing with a choir. right? And, and some are just preaching styles. Some believe pastors look best in suits, and some believe pastors should wear jeans. Right? Uh, some, some are Baptists and some are Methodists and some are Presbyterian and some are Assembly of God and some are Church of God and some are Foursquare four Gospel. And there's, there's many different denominations and we disagree about secondary things. But everyone is our brother and sister in Christ. The people at Cornerstone Baptist are brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't agree about the moves of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, but we both agree that it's only by Jesus Christ and what he did for us that we'll get to heaven. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We recognize that. It's secondary things. But then you have organizations that claim Christianity that believe different primary things. And we as a church need to know the difference between organizations that believe different primary things and organizations that believe different secondary things because secondary things are secondary. They're not heaven or hell issues. Primary things are heaven or hell issues, right? So, so what are some primary things? Is Jesus God? Is the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit, are they three persons in one? Did Jesus die on a cross for us? Was Jesus resurrected? Is Jesus eternal? Was Jesus born of a virgin? Was Jesus sinless? Did he live a sinless life? That we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do we agree on these primary issues of the gospel? Is that what we do? And then you have, you have other organizations, and I'm going I'm to name a few. Or I'm going to go through them because you need to know. 
And because I ran into it uh, recently with a neighbor, and I told you guys about that a couple of weeks ago. You have organizations like Jehovah Witnesses. You need to know what they're about. As a Christian, when you run across a Jehovah Witness, you need to know how to, how to witness to a Jehovah Witness. You need to know what's different about their Bible than our Bible, right? You need to know. So Jehovah Witnesses believe these things. I'm going to run through them uh, fairly quick for you guys. Jehovah Witnesses believe Jesus is God's first creation. He wasn't always is, always will be, always was. Jesus was not God. Jesus was created by God. That's what they teach. Jesus was his first creation. They also believe that Jesus was initially Michael the archangel. So before he came to earth as Jesus, he was Michael the archangel in heaven is what they teach and believe. They believe that he is a little G God, but not big G God, right? He's not a part of the Holy Trinity God. JWs believe Jesus created the angels after God created Jesus and that the angels worship Jesus as God, right? They believe Jesus was fully man on earth and not God at all while he was on earth. They believe he was only man. Uh, they believe Jesus died on a stake and not on a cross. Why in the world would you think that would be important? Do you know that the enemy has been trying to do away with the importance of the cross since the day Jesus hung on it? Enemy's been trying to do away with the importance of the cross. And if he can take a whole section of people that call themselves Christians and call themselves Christ followers and do away with the, with the cross in their organization. I, I had a guy I was talking to back when we first got here, and we were, we were kind of uh, working hard to make some changes, you know, and, and the finances still uh, weren't there yet. And I was looking for some used equipment uh, for the church and for the youth group and stuff. And I was on Facebook Marketplace, and I came across this guy, and he said, I've got this soundboard. And, and I said, well, how much do you want for it? And, you know, we need one for our youth group for the church. And he goes, oh, it's for a church? Man, I, you know, let me ask you a couple of questions, and I'll probably just donate it to you. And I'm like, great. That's awesome. And he goes, question one, do you have any crosses anywhere on your, on your campus? And I said, yeah, man, we got crosses everywhere. We got three crosses made out of, uh, of, of uh, what are the logs? Poles. We got three crosses made of poles on a hill over here. If you ever turn in the second one and paint it gold and blue, right on there on the side of the hill, you can't miss them when you come in, right? I said, we got a cross in our sanctuary. We got crosses everywhere. You know, we even got a guy who waves crosses in the service. <laughs> right? We got crosses. And he goes, oh, I, I, I can't give you the soundboard. And I, said, and I said, oh, you must be a Jehovah Witness. And he said, yeah. He goes, do you got a minute? Let me tell you about my religion. And I said, you got a minute? I'm the pastor of the church. Let me tell you about mine. <laughs> and he didn't respond, right? So, so people, people you run into that believe differently from you but want to make it sound like they follow the same Jesus you do to get you pulled into the same belief system that they believe, right? But you can't do it. So they believe Jesus died on a stake. They won't allow anybody who is a Jehovah Witness to have a cross anywhere in their home. They can't have it, right? Can't wear a cross, can't have a cross. Uh, Jesus was only resurrected spiritually and not bodily is what they teach when we know that Jesus shared a few meals after he was resurrected. He cooked some breakfast after he was resurrected. He had Thomas touch him after he was resurrected. He was more than a spirit. He was resurrected bodily. They can't find the body because he was resurrected bodily. They teach it was only spiritually. They believe salvation includes faith in Christ. 
man, that sounds right. But there's an asterisk. Faith in Christ and full obedience to their organization's guidelines and rules. You can be saved if you have faith in Christ and you follow full obedience to our guidelines and rules. Right? It's a different gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our JW is Christians. Go ahead. You can say it. The camera's on me. It's not on you. No. They are not Christians. When you meet a JW and you say, are you Christians? They go, yes, we're Christians. No, you're not. You preach a different gospel. Right? Mormons. Let's, let's talk about what Mormons believe briefly before we close up for tonight. They believe Jesus is God. I'm starting out pretty good. Right? Goes downhill fast. They believe the Trinity is, in fact, three separate gods, not one God. They believe that the Father and the Son both have a physical body. They teach that the Father has a human form. They teach that humans, if they are good enough, just like God the Father was once, that they can reach such a level of spiritualness that they will go and create and rule a planet of their own. That God was once a person who achieved such success spiritually that he reached a whole nother plane and was able to create his own planet to rule over it. And that you can do the same. They believe that you can become a god, right? So they believe also the devil is Jesus' brother. What? Starts getting a little crazy. So are Mormons Christians? No. It's okay to say no. They are not. And if you run across a Mormon, they are sweet people. They are nice as pie. They are not Christians. Okay, and you need to know that. So listen, I heard one pastor talk about this. You can take a road trip in the United States and you can drive from Florida to Georgia like Jessica and I did last week. And you can go from Georgia to North Carolina or Tennessee. And you can go across the West and, and you could go for thousands of miles. And you don't get stopped at any borders. Because it's all the same United States. That's like walking through our multiple denominations that we have. Right? You can cross border. You can go sit in a Baptist service. And they're not going to throw you out probably unless you start speaking in tongues. Right? You just be, be respectful. But you can go sit in a Baptist service. Pastor Eddie goes and, and, and preaches youth events at Cornerstone Baptist. Right? He can go there and do that. And we can have uh, Nate, Pastor Nate, the the. the at Cornerstone Baptist, the youth pastor come and, and help with the youth here and do something because it's the same nation. We just have different uh, borders, but there's no stopping at the border. We're still connected, right? But then if you tried to cross over into Mexico or if you tried to cross over into Canada, the process would be a little different, right? So there are certain denominations in the Christian faith that are like remaining in the nation. And then there's certain things like Mormons, like Jehovah Witnesses, like Christian scientists, that are crossing over to a whole different realm. It's a whole different gospel. Christian scientists believe Jesus was a man who uh, reached such a spiritual plane that he was the first man to do it that he actually crossed over into being a God. And that's why he was able to heal people. And if you reach that spiritual plane, you too can become a God who heals people. But you have to learn a certain type of prayer, and you have to learn a certain type of language, and you have to learn a certain uh, mental enlightenment. Doesn't that sound familiar? It smells like Gnosticism, doesn't it? Right? It's, it's the same thing. Demons don't have a new bag of tricks, guys. 
The same demons that were fighting against Christians in the first century are the same demons that are fighting against you today. They don't have the same a new bag of tricks. They just put a different label on it, right? So we have to know that. So, so I want to talk about briefly, and I know, guys, I'm, I'm well over time. I usually don't teach this long on Wednesday nights, but this is the biggest part of this. And I promise next Wednesday, if you come back, it'll be shorter. We'll, we'll dig into, into other parts of it. But this is the biggest part. And I just wanna, I want you to know it before you leave today because there's some issues that we're dealing with in our nation, right? And, and these, are, these are the three tests of following Christ. The first one is this, the test of obedience. We talked about this in the very beginning. Are we following scripture or are we making excuses for darkness to continue in our lives? If you're making excuses for darkness to continue in your life, you're following a different gospel. If you think you're okay without repenting online, whoever's watching tonight or in the future, if you think you can continue in sin without repenting and getting it covered under the blood, you're following a different gospel. So there's a test of obedience that we follow the scripture. The second one is this. It's a test of belief. It's a test of belief. Are there any applications of our personal faith that doesn't line up with Scripture? Is there something that you hold dear in your personal faith that just isn't found in Scripture? And you use uh, 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 emotions to justify it. Well, God wouldn't, and God doesn't, and God shouldn't, but it's not in Scripture. So what's in your personal faith that you hold dear in your life that doesn't line up with the gospel that causes you to follow a different gospel than the gospel that we read about, right? Um, listen, uh, we, we saw the opening of the 117th Congress, and, and everybody's seen the news, and everybody watched as a Democrat representative from Missouri prayed uh, and finished a prayer with a man and a woman, right? Everybody saw that. It was a joke across the news. It was a joke on Facebook. Everybody was laughing about it. A man and a woman, like it's, what is that? A gender inclusion and a prayer. You know, it, it's not even a genderized word, right? Everybody was so focused on how he finished that prayer, a man and a woman, that they didn't really focus on what the prayer said. And the rep, Representative Cleaver, came out and justified it and said, I was just making a pun. I was making a joke because we had more women in Congress than we've ever had before. So it was just a joke. It was a funny and you know what? Ha ha, I get that. You know, sometimes I joke from the pulpit, right? I laugh, right? Well, Representative Cleaver is a, is a Methodist minister. And hey, man, they can joke. You know, they probably don't joke as much as Pentecostals do, but they joke, right? And I, and I understand that. What I don't excuse is that he ended his prayer in the name of Brahma. A Methodist minister. A Democrat representative of the, of the Congress giving an opening prayer of the 117th Congress. An ordained minister in the Methodist organization ended his prayer in the name of Brahma. What is Brahma? Brahma is, is the supposed Hindu god of creation. Is Representative Cleaver a Christian? No. Pastor Steve, you're judging no, I'm not. I'm, I'm identifying his fruit. He ended the prayer in the name of Brahma. If a man stood in my pulpit and prayed over y'all and ended the prayer in the name of Brahma, I would whip his tail all the way out the door. Because that is a different gospel. Has nothing to do with his political ties.
but I hold him responsible as a Methodist minister who calls himself a man of God. To pray in the name of Brahma is a disgrace. I don't care that he joked amen and a woman at the end of the prayer. I care that he prayed in the name of Brahma in our state capital as a Methodist minister and man of God. That's an issue for me. So, so listen, when we look around our country and somebody says, vote for me, I'm a Christian, ask some questions. You wouldn't date and marry somebody just because they told you they were a Christian. Don't vote and get in bed with a politician because they say they're a Christian. You need to ask some questions. There's some qualifying questions that need to be asked. When somebody says they're a Christian, they might be a Jehovah Witness. They might be a Mormon. They might be a Christian scientist. They might be a flat-out heathen. They might be an atheist. They might be... A, a, a twisted up mess of conglomeration of different religions because they think it's politically correct. But they're not a Christian. Okay? So I, I want to I leave with that tonight. There's a couple of doctrines I, I meant to get into tonight. I don't have time to get into them, but I'm going to ask you to study these. And I'm going to ask you to study these against the Word of God. There's two specific harmful doctrines, which are why the church is split in many ways, between liberal theology and conservative theology. Those are not political terms. These are theological terms. Okay? There's, there's, there's conservative Christian beliefs in theology, and there's liberal Christian beliefs in theology, and it boils down to a difference in doctrine. And I want you to study these and look into them. The first one is replacement theology doctrine. Replacement theology doctrine. What is that? I'm going to give you just a brief explanation. It's saying that Israel is no longer uh, the people of God. That Israel is no longer God's chosen people. That they have been replaced. That's what replacement theology doctrine is. And it is rampant in America. It's rampant in, in liberal theology. It's rampant in liberal Christian uh, uh, colleges. When you send a kid to a Christian college, you need to ask some questions. Because just because it's a Christian college don't mean they have Christian, uh, Christian uh, professors. Thank you. Doesn't mean they have Christian professors. They might have professing Christian professors with a different gospel that they're teaching. Here's the second one. The second one is black liberation theology. Black liberation theology has some great points. There's some awesome points to it. It's a theology that teams up with the Bible to free non-white people. That's good, right? It's a theology to free non-white people. It's also a theology that ties in Christianity as a means of freedom. That's good, right? We believe that. We believe all people should be free and that all people can walk in Christ. And we believe that uh, collectively we can see each and every one of us come to a saving knowledge in Christ and be free from the chains and bondages in our life. We believe that. Here's where the third lies in is they tie in Marxism as the framework of the distribution of that gospel. And Marxism is at odds with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So know who you're supporting. Know who you're voting for. Know who you're touting on social media. Ask some questions. Study it for yourself. Church, the gospel in here is truth. Anything that deviates from this truth is wrong. 
and it may use language that make, makes you feel good or makes you all tickly on the inside or make you feel like that's for me because that lines up with my people. But ask the questions. Study it against Scripture and don't just take it for granted. Pastor Samuel Rodriguez put this on, on Facebook the other day and I want to close with this because I thought it was so good. I want us as a church to start praying for a season of instead of. A season of instead of. You say, what in the world is that? Instead of is instead of riots, we want revival. Instead of lockdowns, we want to see the windows and the doors of heaven open up. Instead of strife, we want unity. Instead of hatred, we want love. Instead of relativism that has run rampant in our society, we want to stand firm on the truth. And instead of uh, many under fear, one nation under God. Amen. Let me pray over you and then we're done for the night. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to deliver your word tonight. I thank you, Father, that you've given us such a clear and concise roadmap to live our lives. You've given us clear direction that anything that is outside the lines of your truth, Father, we should deny. We should stand against. We should break it off of our lives. Lord, anything that holds a grip on us that is not of you and is not scriptural, I pray that it breaks off of our lives today in the mighty name of Jesus. Anything that we have our eyes on that is not Jesus Christ, anything we have put our hope in who is not Jesus Christ, Lord, I break those bondages and those chains off of our lives. Lord, I pray that tonight we would leave here free people, free from the, the bondages and chains that get caught up in our emotions and our minds and be able to walk in security knowing that you are our God, that we are your children, and that you love us in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys.